0: Daniel chapter number 4, and I'd like to begin reading at verse number 19. We're going to begin midway through the chapter. Uh, This chapter details for us a vision that is given to Nebuchadnezzar, who is the ruler, the uh, emperor, if you will, of the kingdom, the world empire of Babylon. And uh, the first uh, 18 verses uh, gives us his telling of this dream. We'll begin at verse 19 where the dream is interpreted by Daniel. Daniel chapter four, let's begin at verse number nineteen. The word of God says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O King, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown, and reacheth unto heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven, and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which is come upon my lord the king." that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule." Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty?' While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will." The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men, and did eat grasses, oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever." whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. So let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege of being in your house. Now, God, I want to ask you to give me help for the next few moments in the preaching of your Word. Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with the Holy Ghost, and Father, that you'd give me unction from on high, to preach Your Word faithfully and truthfully. And God, I pray that as these are gathered here today, You give them ears to hear. And Lord, that You do in us that which would bring You the most glory. Father, we're depending wholly upon You. And Lord, we cannot do it without You. So we commit ourselves unto Your faithful hand. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. As we read in Daniel chapter number 4, I'm interested in a little phrase. It's used several times throughout this chapter but we find it in verse number 26 where the Word of God says, and whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots. You know, if anything else, I believe that this is a testimony to the grace and mercy of an almighty God. Nebuchadnezzar was uh, really one of the first world leaders, world emperors. There had been empires before Nebuchadnezzar, and there were empires after Nebuchadnezzar. The Egyptians had conquered much of the known world. The Assyrians had much authority. But the story of the times of the Gentiles begins with Nebuchadnezzar. Never had there been so much power vested into one individual. The kingdom of Babylon really only lasted some 70 years, and the reason is because it lasted as long as Nebuchadnezzar lasted. And after Nebuchadnezzar died and was gone, the kingdom left. Literally, he held the power of life and death over all of the known world at this time. And yet we find in a moment that God brings the most powerful man in the world to his very knees. That tells you something about how mighty the God of heaven is. I'd have you know that if God's able to abase Nebuchadnezzar, He's able to abase you and me. I'd have you know that if there's anything we've got worth having, it's because He has not only allowed it, but afforded it to us. And we better consider that in the way that we live and the way that we walk. There's a lot that could be said about this chapter, and I don't want to scare you this morning, but as I studied, my difficulty was the Lord was giving me too much. Amen? Has that ever happened to you as you've studied the Bible? And you just had trouble organizing it and getting it into a few concise thoughts. So I thought I'd kind of watch over myself and not read the whole chapter. Because if I did, I'd preach the whole chapter and we'd be here till four o'clock. Amen? But I do want us to look at a few things that are given in this dream, this vision that was given to Nebuchadnezzar. And I want you to notice his exaltation by way of introduction. This was a man of immense power. In fact, verse number 20 speaks of his authority. The Bible says, "...the tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven and the sight thereof to all the earth." God is using symbolism to convey to Nebuchadnezzar that he literally is the most powerful man in the world. There was no one that he answered to. There was no one that he bowed to. And as you go through the book of Daniel, you'll find that to be true. He was a very ornery and selfish and self-centered individual, as most emperors were. And he was the type of man that didn't, listen carefully now, he didn't let anyone tell him what to do. Have you ever had a moment in your life? I know I have. Maybe it was in the midst of anger. Maybe it was in the midst of being caught in the flesh. But in some way, you've thought to yourself, no one is going to tell me what to do. Has that ever happened to you? I remember when I was a teenager. Do you remember when you were a teenager? Some of you, it wasn't that long ago. Others of you, well, we'll just keep preaching. But I remember when I was a teenager thinking to myself, you know, one of these days I'll be an adult and then nobody can tell me what to do. I wish some adult had told me that isn't how it turns out. You're driving down the road and you see blue and red lights behind you. You've met with somebody that can tell you what to do. April 15th comes along, and uh, it's time to file them taxes. You've met with somebody that can tell you what to do. Authority is an intrinsic experience uh, in human life. Every single one of us, we have people that we answer to. We have authorities in our life. And let's not deceive ourselves. At the end of the day, the Bible says that no man can serve two masters. That implies that every one of us is serving at least one master. We may think we have the authority in our life. Nebuchadnezzar thought he had the authority. And that went fine so long as nobody challenged him, but one day God challenged his authority and he found out different. We see his authority denoted in verse number 20. Then look at verse number 21, the first part of it. The Bible says this, "...whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all." We see not only his authority, but we see his abundance." This was a man who had amassed wealth to himself that most of us could never even fathom. This was a man that literally held the purse strings of the entire world. And you know, sometimes, I don't know which it is, I don't know if we think we need authority to get money or money to get authority, but they always seem to go hand in hand. And one of the things we're all striving for, I know it, uh, it's true for me, it's true for you, but we're all always striving for financial security as if there's any security in finances to begin with. You understand that in a moment the lights could go dark and that paper money in your wallet wouldn't mean a thing? You say, well, preacher, you don't know me. I've diversified. I've got gold, yeah, and somebody will come along, knock you over the head and take it from you. Truth of the matter is, there's no security in finances. There's no security in temporal means. This was a man that had everything. In fact, he had so much that he owned the fields that he grazed in later. Let that sink in for just a moment. In other words, the fields that he owned were the things that became the prison that he grazed in when his mind went. Let's be careful because sometimes we think we own our money when the truth is our money is what owns us. This was a man that had an abundance of, of things he never wanted for anything we live in a prosperous country and i praise the lord for it i I believe our country is prosperous because of the blessings of god i think one of these days not if but when our country is no longer prosperous it'll be because the blessing of god has been removed from our country but as we speak right now in this moment we live in a prosperous country i mean just about everybody drove here when we leave here most of us will go to a restaurant and grab something to eat we'll drive back later on Though there may be times when it gets tight and there may be moments when uh, things get lean, we, most of us don't ever worry about where the next meal is going to come from. And in some ways, sometimes I think that robs us of a true understanding of just how fragile we are. The truth of the matter is all that could be gone in a moment and we'd be left with nothing but ourselves and our relationship with God. And I wonder how our relationship with God would be then. We see not only His authority and His abundance, but look at the end of verse 21. The Bible says, "...under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation." We see not only His authority and His abundance, but we see His adoration. Nebuchadnezzar, like most world leaders, was not the kind of guy that was everybody's best friend. But you understand that if someone has the authority to take your head off, it pays to be nice to him. If you're married, you know that's true. Amen? That person crawls in bed next to you each night. You don't know what they're hiding underneath that pillow. They might come after you. You don't know. It pays to be nice to somebody that has the power of life and death over you. And because of this, Nebuchadnezzar had many admirers. He was never short on friends. He was never short on somebody to come along and tell him how wonderful and how great he was. And yet we find this truth, that though he might have been adored by men... He was abhorred by an Almighty God. Can I tell you something? Just because everybody else is okay with the way you live, that don't mean God's okay with the way that you live. You may have plenty of people that agree with the way that you live. It ain't hard to find people. You just got to find somebody that's in the same mess you're in. And when you find somebody that's in the same mess you're in, you found somebody that'll make excuses for your sin. And you may have tons of people around you. Hey, they're doing what you do. They're watching what you watch. They're they're listening to the things you listen to. They're acting the way that you act. you think, this feels pretty comfortable. I don't know what it was like in the palace, but I'm sure there was plenty of yes-men. Don't you imagine so? You didn't get very far saying no to the king. And so I would imagine there were a lot of yes-men in the palace. I'm sure there were people that when Nebuchadnezzar decided he was going to build a statue of gold that said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, what a marvelous idea. I'm sure that when he said, not only will we build this statue, we'll command everybody to come and worship at it. I'm sure there was somebody that said, that's a wonderful idea, O king. But what did God think about it? We preached this morning in Sunday school to the young people about leaning not under your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledging God. I'm not asking how you feel about it. I'm asking how God feels about it. Because how you feel about it ain't going to mean much when eternity comes, but how God feels about a matter is all that's going to mean anything when that day comes we see his exaltation he's a man that's untouchable he's a man that no one can abase he literally has all the abundance all of the power all of the military all of the authority in the known world and then things change in a moment why is it that god would do such a thing it's a unique relationship between Nebuchadnezzar and the lord if you go through the book of daniel you'll find this to be true that God was working on Nebuchadnezzar. As you come to chapter 4, look at the first verse. Notice what it says. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. Now notice verse 2. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. You'll know this to be true if you've studied your Bible, that uh, the book of Daniel, some of it's written in Aramaic, some of it was written in Hebrew. Uh, but there's no question that though Daniel was the author of the book of Daniel, that uh, he drew things from various different sources. And there were times when uh, through divine inspiration, things were given to Daniel that no one could have known but the Lord. But I believe what we're reading here, and I think it's pretty plainly evident, this is the personal testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. He wrote this down. He wanted people to know what God had done in his life. When you come to the end of this chapter, I believe you come to the place where Nebuchadnezzar is converted and truly comes to know the Lord. But God had been working in his life. And what is it that he could have done that would cause God to judge him in such a fierce way? We all kind of soft serve sin, every one of us. Let me tell you something. Most old time men of God from a hundred years ago Nobody in this room, including me, would abide him in the pulpit very long because the way they called sin, sin, and because of the way they dealt with the things that offended God. We all soft-serve sin to, to a degree. Say that five times fast. But what was it that he could have done that was so terrible? Well, I want you to notice first off with me his violation. What had he done that offended God. Well, here in a moment, we're going to look at what he said. But can I just say that the first thing that he did was he rejected God's grace. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, again, as you look through the beginning of the book of Daniel, you'll find that God had already revealed Himself to Nebuchadnezzar in several ways. Nebuchadnezzar was not ignorant of the fact that Jehovah, the God of Israel, was the true God. And you'll see a progression in his apprehension of who and what God was. In chapter number 2, you'll find that he comes to understand that God is a God of revelation. Revelation that God is a God of mysteries and that God is a God with a message. He has a dream and he comes to Daniel and he asks Daniel to interpret it and Daniel gives him the interpretation. And at the end of chapter number 2, you find Nebuchadnezzar saying, hey, Daniel's God, he's the God of gods. In other words, he's one of many. He's the king of gods. In other words, he's the best out of the lot. He came to understand that he was a God with a message. When you come to chapter number 3, we find that Nebuchadnezzar actually saw the fourth man in the fire. Do you remember it? And he finds out that he's a God of miracles. And he's a miracle-working God. And he begins to talk about how that God had delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how that God had a personal interest in their life. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was not ignorant to who God was. And still he's walking through his palace. And he says, i built these things. He had seen God's works. He had heard God's words. And there's a great penalty to holding those things in apathy. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, listen carefully, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Let me tell you something. It's one thing to be ignorantly unrighteous. But it's a whole other thing to be informed and be unrighteous. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have at least some comprehension of who the true God is. And there's a great weight of responsibility that comes with that. Let me tell you something. We try to make all the excuses in the world to the Lord. But at the end of the day, most of us in here, we know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know how we need to live. We know that we need to serve God. And all those excuses, they may suffice for those around us. But one day when we stand before an almighty God, they won't mean anything. We see that he rejected God's grace, but then notice, secondly, that he robbed God's glory. He walks through the palace. I don't know if he was by himself. I don't know if anyone was with him. But as he's walking through this magnificent palace, he sort of, and I'm going to paraphrase, but looks around and he says, Man, look what a good job I've done. Look at this palace that I built. Look at this kingdom that I have built. I'm really something. You know, at the end of the day, we can really source sin always to the element of pride. Sin at its very elemental base is nothing but pride. The pride to believe that we know best The pride to believe that we know better than God. The pride to believe that somehow the rules of righteousness and unrighteousness don't apply to us. The pride to believe that somehow God will ignore our sins. Really, at the end of the day, it's all just pride. Pride, pride, pride. Nebuchadnezzar says, boy, I'm something. And God booms from heaven and says, I'll show you exactly what you are. We see his violation, but I want you to notice his devastation. The Bible says that two basic things would happen to Nebuchadnezzar. Number one, I want you to notice he was betrayed. The Bible says he was driven from men. Evidently, there was a a, a faction there in the palace that did still hold allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar, but when his mind left him, the political tides turned, and now all those folks that he thought were such great supporters are gone, and they're nowhere to be found. Let me tell you something. You you know, a lot of times when God begins to just rattle your cage, and you know sometimes God does that. When God has to do that, God does that. You know why God did this in Nebuchadnezzar's life? To show him that the Almighty God ruleth in heaven and on earth. Can I just put it real simple? And listen, I know nobody's going to like this. I know nobody's going to hallelujah about this. But he did it to show Nebuchadnezzar exactly who boss was. Who was in charge. Every once in a while, we need that. Every once in a while, we just need to remember who exactly it is that's in charge and who has the authority. And so he begins by causing those that were around Nebuchadnezzar to turn from him and to betray him. And you really begin to find out, listen, uh, the companions that we have in sin, they'll only go so far with us before things get rough and they'll turn around and leave. You remember the prodigal in Luke chapter 15. Man, he had tons of friends. When he was wasting his father's living with, or his father's substance with riotous living, he wasn't short on friends. Man, there's always somebody to drink one of his beers. There's always somebody to do some of his drugs. There's always somebody to be at the party. Then all of a sudden, when all the money runs out, all the friends run out. You know what happens a lot of times when we have companions in sin? When God begins to judge us, they leave because they don't like what the end of their sin looks like. Can I Let me say that again. They begin to leave because they don't like what the end of their sin looks like. Mark her down. If somebody knows God and they get into sin, the first thing that happens is they start distancing themselves from those that know and love God. I've done it before in my life. Times when I got sin in my heart, I didn't want to talk to people that was going to talk to me about the Lord. I didn't want to talk to people that's going to talk to me about Church. I didn't want to be around people that was going to talk about the things of God. I wanted to find those people that was going to talk about the sin I was in. I wanted to find those people that was going to talk about the good times we were going to have. And pretty soon when things get rough, everybody leaves Nebuchadnezzar. We see he was betrayed, but we see he was bankrupted. All of that wealth didn't mean anything when he didn't have the mind to use it. Oh, let me tell you something. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I believe a man ought to work, don't you? The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he ought not eat. And if a man doesn't uh, take care of his family, he's worse than an infidel and he's denied the faith. And I believe that. I believe if we had a more biblical system in this country that we wouldn't have as much welfare and as much problems as we do. I understand there's some folks that need it, but there's a lot more on it that don't need it than there are that do need it. I believe that a man ought to work, but let me tell you something. You better be careful. You'll spend all those years filling up barns and building bigger barns only to find yourself one night hearing the voice of God saying, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. It don't do any good once you leave this world. I've never seen a hearse with a r- luggage rack, have you? I've never, el- I've never seen one pulling a U-Haul. The truth is when you leave this world, you leave it like you came into it the fact of the matter is, we better be careful lest we waste this precious time on things that are going to mean nothing when we leave this world. We see uh, his devastation. But I want you to notice the prostration that he found himself in. The Bible says that all this afflicted in a moment, that, that same hour, his mind left him, those that were around him betrayed him, his riches did him no good, and he was driven from men and he lived in the fields. And there in those fields, the Bible says that his hair grew long like eagles' feathers and his nails grew long like birds' claws. And for seven years he lived in that field with his mind gone from him. The Bible says at the end of those days, aren't you thankful that when, when sin has its ill effects on us, there is an end of those days? Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you glad that God will forgive? Aren't you glad that things can be made right? In a moment, when those days have passed, everything changes again. And the Bible says this. Nebuchadnezzar said, I lifted mine eyes towards the heaven. We understand this. The Bible said, leave the stump. Now, what does that mean? It basically means this, that in the midst of God's judgment, there were some things that God was going to leave, Nebuchadnezzar. We could talk about the kingdom being left to him, and that's true. We could talk about his riches being left to him, and when we come to the end of the chapter, we find that that's true. But I find two important things that God left him when everything else was took from him. I want you to listen carefully to this. Number one, he was left with a choice. Aren't you glad there is a choice to be made when we're living in sin? We don't have to stay in sin. You may be here today, listen, I understand, I mean, we're good church-going people. You know, we try to stay out of everybody's business. I mean, church, nobody knows anybody's business at church, right? I don't know what's going on in your life, but you may have come in here messed up today. You may have come in here angry today, bitter today. You may have come in here today wondering when everybody's going to find out. I don't know. Can I tell you, you don't have to stay in that shape. You don't have to stay in that condition. You may have came messed up, but you can leave straightened out. There's a choice to be made. Nebuchadnezzar was given a choice. I think if he had chose to not extol and honor and praise the God of heaven, I think he would have died in that field. And I, listen, I think if you refuse to repent, you'll die in your sin. Maybe tomorrow, maybe 10 years from now, maybe 50 years from now. But the only way out of sin is repentance. So if you won't repent, you won't ever get out of sin. That's the only way. That's the only doorway out of sin is repentance. So if you refuse to repent, things are never going to get straightened out. But you have a choice that you can make. He was left with a choice, but I want you to know a second. He was left with a voice. God left him mind enough to look. I'm reminded in chapter number 5 of the book of Daniel about this beautiful truth when God had uh, pronounced judgment upon Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, the Bible says this, that there in those cavernous banquet rooms below the city of Babylon that a hand appeared and wrote against the candlestick. It didn't say a candlestick, it said the candlestick. You ever wondered why the Bible is so specific about that candlestick? Because if you were to trace the history, you would find out that whenever they sacked... Jerusalem, they took all the implements of the temple and they took them and put them in the treasure house of their God. And now they take all of those things on this fateful night in Babylon and they take all of the cups and all the utensils and everything that they had robbed from the temple in Jerusalem and they take them down and fill them full of wine and drink and toast the the gods of wood and stone and of, of precious metal. I believe that candlestick was the very same candlestick that at one time had stood vigilant in the holy place. In the tabernacle. You say, What are you getting at, preacher? When everything was its darkest, God still had a light shining. And in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, everything's dark, everything's clouded. His re- the Bible doesn't say that his reason returned unto him and then he praised God. The Bible says he looked up and extolled the God of heaven and then his reason returned unto him. Let me tell you something. You may be in the midst of sin this morning, but you're here in church and that says something. You may be, listen, your life may be so messed up and you're hiding it and you don't want people to know, but you came to church this morning. There's a light still shining. There's still a voice left to praise Him with. There's still a voice left to ask forgiveness with. There's still an opportunity for you to repent if you'll only take it and call upon the God of heaven. We see His prostration. But I want you to notice in the next passage His proclamation. He begins to praise God, and he acknowledges two things, and I want you to notice them. Look at verse number 34. At the very end of it, he said this, "...I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation." The first thing he acknowledged was God's power. He said, okay, God, you're God. Let me tell you something. Things would be a lot less complicated if we just let God be God. Right? Hey, listen, I know that's simple. I know. If you paid a cover charge at the door, first off, it don't go to me. And secondly, you may feel like you overpaid. But that's truth. Let God be God. And it'll straighten a lot of things out in your life. If you'll just acknowledge. One of the things I told the young people this morning as we walked through that passage in Proverbs chapter 3, Begins in verse 5. says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. You know what that means? Just grow comfortable with the fact that God's always right. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. God's right. You say, well, me and God don't agree. Well, then you're wrong. Because God's always right. Let God be true and every man a liar. And if you just acknowledge that God is God. All, listen, all the sinning in the world, that won't take God off of His throne. All the rebellion in the world, that won't take God off of His throne. You say, but preacher, I really, really, really want to do this. That doesn't take God off of His throne. You say, but preacher, I'm really, really angry at that person. But that doesn't take God off of His throne. The truth of the matter is, nothing can take Him off of His throne. And until you acknowledge that God is God, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, can I just clue you in on something? God didn't ascend to His throne the day Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged it. God was already on the throne. God didn't become an almighty God whose kingdom was from generation to generation and and from everlasting to everlasting the day that Nebuchadnezzar owned up to that. But Nebuchadnezzar's life changed that day. And you'll find that if you'll just acknowledge that God is God and let Him be God, it'll straighten a lot out. We see that he acknowledges God's power. I want you to look at the next phrase with me in verse number 35. He says, "...and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing." Now, stop and think about what he's just said there. He didn't say everybody but me. He didn't say everybody but rulers and kings. He says, "...all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing." He acknowledges not only God's power, but he acknowledges his own position. And he said, now this is the same one that walked through his palaces seven years earlier to the day and said, look at what I've built. And now he rises up from the field and he says, hey, listen, every single one of us as nothing before God. Let me tell you something, pride is a wicked, ugly, vile thing. And I don't, I don't believe in this self-humiliation thing, try, trying to masquerade as humility. You know, you, you've seen people do that. I mean, just, just talk down about themselves left and right and think that. That's not humility. You know what humility is? Humility is acknowledging ourselves in the scope of God and God in the scope of ourselves. In other words, humility is not saying, I'm really low down and I'm really nothing and I'm really small. It's saying, boy, God's really big. And next to Him, I'm really small. The truth of the matter is, he he came to the place where he understood that he was nothing aside from God. If he had his kingdom, it was because God allowed it. If he had his servants, it's because God provided it. If he ruled over the world, it's because God made it so. Let me tell you something. The only thing that separates you from those right now in the gutter is the grace of God. That's the only thing. Some of you understand that better than others. Some of you that were in the gutter at one time, you get that. You know that. But but those of us that have never been in the gutter, proverbially speaking, sometimes we have trouble with that. And we think we're something because we was raised right or we go to the right church or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, all the inhabitants of the earth, they're reputed as nothing. And you may think you're something. And you may be next to a lot of people. But next to God, you're nothing, just as I am nothing. We see... His proclamation, and finally, and I'm done. Aren't you glad I didn't preach the whole chapter? We see His restoration. We see, number one, that His strength was returned. Verse 36, At the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. You know what God did? God came in and made everything that was wrong right. God came in and everything that he had messed up, God came in and straightened it out. You say, Preacher, I've gone too far. I don't think any of you have gone as far as Nebuchadnezzar went. You say, Preacher, I, I've messed things up too bad. I don't think any of us have messed things up. as I didn't see anybody coming in with, with hair like eagle's feathers, amen, or, or fingernails like claws. Some churches maybe, but not ours. I didn't see anybody like that. Now the truth is, I don't care how far you've gone. God's able to bring you back, and I know sin. I know sin causes scars. But let me tell you something. There's no one that God can't make whole, and there's no one that God can't forgive. You say, preacher, I'm here, and my life's a mess. There's things going on. Nobody knows about them, but I know about them, and God knows about them. And I've messed up, preacher. Well, that's okay. He's the one that binds up the broken heart. He's the one that makes whole those. That are impaired. We see not only that his strength was returned, but you know the greatest thing about this passage. We see that his soul was redeemed. I like the way he says it in verse number thirty-seven. Look at it again with me. He says now. Now don't don't just skip over that. He could have said and I Nebuchadnezzar praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. That's not what he said. He said now. In other words, used to I didn't. Before God did this in my life, I didn't do that. You see, there's the there's the real true humility that you're seeing. There's the true honesty that you're seeing. Nebuchadnezzar says, there was a time in my life I didn't. But he says, now, though God has chastened me, it's been for my good. Though God has done these things in my life, and I wouldn't have wanted them, I'm the better for them. He says, now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth. In other words, God, Jews, right when you did that. Lord, you were right when you did that. I didn't understand it at the time, but I see it now. And His ways, judgment. And He says, and I deserved it. I deserved it. That was the judgment of God. And those that walk in pride, He is able to abase. Aren't you glad the Lord don't throw us out? Aren't you glad the Lord, when He judges us, He don't take the stump grinder out and grind us down to powder and to nothing? Aren't you glad that He still leaves the stump? Aren't you glad there's something left, even when He's chastened us? You may be here today, nothing more and nothing much but a stump, but I'd have you know that the God of heaven is able to forgive you and make you grow again if you'll come unto Him.